We couldn't think of a better way to start off today's podcast than a joke about the Jets. The Jets. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of The Yes Men. I'm Lou DiPietro. To my left, as always, my co-host, Doug Williams. Neither of us are Jets fans, and so we find what happened on Sunday funny. Yeah, it's funny. Funny. Their organization just has nothing going for it. Well, it has the Michael Vick era. Maybe has begun. He doesn't begun. even want to play. No, I, I don't really think he does either. Uh, and I, you know what? If I were on that team, I wouldn't want to play either, quite frankly. Uh, we're 60-ish games into the season now. After uh, five weeks, 60-plus games, whatever it is, minus buys. And uh, that was the first and only shutout of the NFL season that happened in San Diego this Sunday. They had 151 total yards. Um, Geno Smith had a quarterback rating, I think, of 7.6. Which, if you, equate of 100. It, if you equate it to the time difference, is that a 4.6? Do you lose three points in the I time said, difference, too? By the way, there's a double-headed podcast monster coming at, coming at everybody today. Uh, Christian Show and a Yes Men podcast, which you are you know, obviously, because Show. you know you're listening to it now. But, uh, yeah, I said, thank God the Jets you know, aren't playing in London this year, because Geno would just be hours late uh, for, for these meetings. Well, he'd be early. He might actually not really know when the game is. He might just show up ready to play and there's no one else on the field. Well, if they're if they're like 5 hours ahead in London, maybe he shows up early. So maybe that's a good thing. But then he leaves early. Or like, is he like my uncle where you have to at tell half him time he just changes in like a suit and tie, goes to the conf- press conference room, there's no reporters there and just leaves. Yeah, maybe he's like my uncle where you have to tell him to be somewhere an hour before you actually want him there. Yep. So I have the then he'll show up on time. Uncle. Uncles are just generally late. Uncles are weird. Here's here I have two problems with what happened in San Diego. On Sunday. Number one, I get that it's not like college where you can't, you know, bench a guy for a half for saying bad things in the quad like Jameis Winston at Florida State. I get like you're trying to win games, this and that. But now wouldn't be now be the time to punish Geno Smith. He told a fan to go F themselves a couple weeks ago. He now missed a team meeting. Not only showed up late, missed it completely on on Saturday night. A team that's one in three, struggling. Their offense to say their offense is inept would be a slap in the face to actual inept offenses. And he goes out there and, and lays that egg in the first half of that game. Wouldn't now be the time to say, you know what, Gino, you're suspended this week for conduct detrimental to the team. Get your head on straight. We'll see you in two weeks. Yeah, I I think you're dangerously getting to that. Kind of, I don't think you meant it this way, but it is kind of implied that had he gone out and thrown, gone like twenty of twenty-five for two hundred and seventy yards and three touchdowns, nobody would have cared. Nobody would have cared, and right. and you wouldn't even want to suspend the guy because he's on a hot streak. But now that he's just down in the dumps, he's not even playing well. He is guilty of contract detrimental to the team conduct. I mean, because yeah, playing is conduct detrimental yeah, to the team. For he him. is detrimental. Like if if there were war in the NFL. I don't know if there is, but if there were, he'd have negative by like by far. He might have lost them a game, and we're only about to start week six. Yeah, it, it's it's it falls into what I think was the second thing I, I had a problem with about that in t- game in San Diego, and that was everything the Jets did from the minute they stepped on the field to the minute the final gun went off. We had Rich Eisen on our podcast back right before the NFL draft, and. I made the mistake of forgetting that the Jets had Eric Decker 
had signed Eric Decker as a wide receiver when we were talking about possibly Odell Beckham going to the Jets, which instead he went to your Giants, and we saw what he did this week. We'll get into that later. And, you know, I said he'd instantly be the, the best offensive weapon on that team, and Rich even said, well, I think Eric Decker might disagree with you. Well, how's Eric Decker looking these days? How's that signing looking so far? Well, he's guy hurt. can't stay on the field, he's first hurt. of all. Second of all, the fact that Eric Decker, who was an afterthought in the – Denver offense to the point where it was like, ah, eh, we'll let him go. We got Emmanuel Sanders, who leads the NFL in like targets and receptions per game, is their number one offense, and their number their number two offensive weapon is like nobody. What does that say about the state of the Jets? You can say, okay, John Idzik has a plan. He's you know in the second year of rebuilding this franchise. He's got all this cap room, and the plan is to get more so they can do that. Who's going to want to come there? Who's going to want to come to New York? And not play, you know, not playing for the Giants. Who's going to want to come to New York and play for the Jets on a team where Geno Smith, twenty-one games into his career, looks like an abysmal bust? Their two best offensive weapons are a guy who can't stay healthy and a guy whose prime was five years ago. And their defense, as great as it's lauded to be, and as much as Rex is a defensive specialist, their front seven is pretty good, and their secondary looks like most high schools. Yeah, they they if they can't stop the run, they officially can't do anything. They can't coach. Their front office is a disaster. They can't throw the ball. They can't run the ball. They can't stop the pass because everybody's hurt. And if they can't stop the run, that's all they had left. And uh, they couldn't do it in San Diego. And you know what? It, I We had our little production communication before this podcast, and I said, I don't even want to talk about the Jets because – they don't deserve our time. They every week come up with something new to talk about, even though none of it's good. And, you know, I've been in, in the New York media for over a year now. I understand that the, the teams that are winning don't get the publicity that, that then, right. you know, the teams that are losing do. And um, that makes sense because it's the dumpster fire. You know, you mm-hmm. want to talk about that. That's the exciting thing that's going to drive ratings. But it's just getting – it's gotten to the point where – Everything about their entire organization is a total mess. They have, like you, you brought all this up, they have empty cap room of money they did not spend. Their coach can't take out the quarterback on his own accord. He has to go to the GM, John Idzik, for permission. Um, so that's the GM and the coach right there. You have a terrible quarterback situation in which two guys who are not dying to play. You'd be mo- much better off throwing Sims out there. At least maybe he'd give you some effort. Right. And it happened a couple of years ago when they threw Greg McElroy out there at the end of the yeah. season for because a guy who's been chomping at the bit yep. to get some NFL experience. You know, Michael Vick has no interest in playing right now. He's just catching his checks. You know, the thing about it is this: you, you say you you listen to the sports media other than us, and and I know you said yesterday when we went to lunch when you cashed in your your bet that you won last week on the Kansas City San Fran game. You said I don't listen. I don't like to listen to New York sports talk radio anymore because all it is is about the Jets, and I just don't care. And I get that because it's the same thing being said over and over again. So I'll, I'll cap it with this, and then we can move on. So you get part of your wish about not talking about the Jets. <laughs> Only seven minutes. Only and seven a half minutes in the podcast. Uh, the reason you play Michael Vick next week is because if he can do anything, Denver's defense is decent. Denver's offense is going to score about 150 points. And if you remember when we used to do uh, the picks last year for this week in football, when they used to do the picks, they picked Jacksonville at Denver against the spread as well as the regular games. The spread was like 28. Denver could cover a 28-point spread very easily again this week. 
if Vic can do anything against that defense, then that shows you that there are enough weapons there to be utilized, even the minimal the minimal armory that is the Jets' offense. And it further proves that maybe Geno Smith is not the franchise quarterback and it's time to go in a different direction. And by the time the Jets get to midseason and they're 1-8, 1-7, whatever it looks like they're going to be, just fire Rex, clean house. Idzik's going to stick around because he's going to pal up to Woody Johnson and say, I got a plan, stick with me, you can't can me after two years. Fire Rex, clean house, insert Michael Vick as the starter for the rest of the season. When the year comes to an end, part ways with Geno Smith if you want, keep him. Draft a quarterback, use that cap room, start from there. If Vic doesn't do anything, actually that might be easier than if he does because then you can just say, all right, well, you know what, we got the point across to Geno that, you know, you need to get your head on straight and you can't be doing this with this kind of laissez-faire suspension, so to speak. Yeah. And then they can go from there and continue being the dumpster fire that will rage on through New York for the next two and a half months. And for eternity, it seems. Um, yeah. You know what? It's just the irony of having Mark Sanchez uh, last year. You know, you throw him out there in garbage time. You get him hurt. You, you you kind of took him for granted because he did things like the butt fumble. And he was easy to mock and crushed in the media because he was out hanging with girls with his clothes off. But in reality, he gave you much more stability. And yep. we are so impatient, not only in New York, but as a society and especially in the NFL with our quarterbacks. Um, but if you look at Buffalo, you know, EJ Manuel was benched for Kyle Orton and Kyle Orton went and won a game, but EJ Manuel was benched amicably. It was the kind of thing where it's, you're still young, you're our future, but we need to win now. And we think this veteran guy may fit better with our team. We have the chance to win now. It's not even, we need to win now. We have the chance to win now in a division where the Patriots don't look like the Patriots. Right. And let's, let's. Look at this for a second. Guys like Ryan Tannehill and and, uh, Jake Locker and EJ Manuel, they all have, in my opinion, more talent than Geno Smith. Mm -hmm. And they all have, in my opinion, better wins individually and have done better things in the NFL than Geno Smith. All Geno Smith has going for him is the fact that he has excuses. He doesn't have a highlight reel. He just has a bad supporting cast. That's the only reason you'd give him a buy here would be to say, well, the offensive line was terrible in San Diego. True. Uh, Jericho Cotri is the second best wide receiver. and He's not even on the jets anymore. True. Um, so there are excuses for Gino and they're valid to a certain extent, but where are, where's him making receivers better? Where's the, the Larry Donnells aren't popping up in the jets organization because they don't have a quarterback that can make a star, right. you know, little things like that. So, it's just to the point where I understand there aren't that many negatives about Geno Smith, but where are the positives? There are almost zero. Right. And, you know, the Jets made a statement in, in theory when they released Stephen Hill in the preseason because they stuck with him for a couple of years. He stunk, just didn't, couldn't do what they wanted, even though he had a high football IQ, this, that, the other, and he stunk, and they let him go. And where is he now? Parking cars somewhere. Could be Geno Smith. And those guys you mentioned, the E.J. Manuals of the world, they also have a little bit better college pedigrees. West Virginia is a bit of a gimmick offense. Not too many of those skill players from that offense are doing much of anything in the NFL. What's Tavon Austin up to these days? I didn't even hear his name very much in the Eagles game on Sunday, let alone, like, you know, is he doing anything? Noel Devine's not doing much. Yeah, where's Stedman Bailey? I mean, let's, let's be serious. Yeah. You know, it's, it's sort of like Florida in that they have a very high-powered offense, 
But outside of the Tim Tebow debacle, you don't hear anything about 90% of their skill players in the NFL because they just don't translate well into regular offenses. Trey Burton, notwithstanding, who's doing a great job as the fourth tight end on the Eagles. And by doing a great job, I mean he blocked a punt for a touchdown. So he's at least on the board. Um, But, yeah, it's a lot like that. So it's going to be fun to watch for me. I know you don't necessarily pay too much attention to the the clamor around the Jets because you don't want to. But I don't know. Uh, I, 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 it's it's fun for me to watch because I like. I'm an entropy fan. As George I don't Carlin know said. if it's weird of me, you know, because I'm shocked that there aren't more people like me that are just like I just want the Jets to go away. Even if I were a Jets fan, I would hate listening to people talk about the Jets all day. And and just because I'm not a Jets fan, you know, I'm a Knicks fan, um, but I enjoy listening so, to people talk yeah. Nets, and I enjoy people talking about the Knicks because I kind of think that a lot of times. I don't know. There's, there's, there's even there's more. It's becoming more even in New York. You know, right. people are talking about the Nets and Knicks evenly. And you're used to the dumpster fire because we are Knicks fans, right? But right now, nobody, nobody in New York is talking about anything but the Jets, right? That's like a monopoly of just epic proportions, and it's a totally negative connotation. And, and even in a year where we've seen the Yankees be criticized for the way they blow their nose. And everything on on up the ladder. In a year where the Mets, at 79 wins, probably exceeded expectations for everyone other than the Sandy Alderson 90 wins quote. In a year where the Giants have looked pretty damn good the last three weeks. In a year where the Knicks have some kind of positive buzz around them after last season. In a year where the Nets have a new head coach, a new offense, and their preseason starts tonight as we tape against Maccabi Tel Aviv. In a year where the Rangers are coming off a Stanley Cup Finals appearance. It's still all Jets all the time. Yeah. It's kind of amazing, to be honest. That's how big of a disaster that franchise is. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you. Get Rex out. Clean it up. Make it a, an organization like the Mets, where you at least know they're bad, but you, you look at them as, as positives for the future. They have a level-headed coach who knows what he's doing, and that's as much as you need. Yep. So why don't we get off that, and why don't we talk about your Giants, since I know you're very happy with what you saw, and I, I watched the Giants game in addition to the Eagles game. Thank God for DirecTV and multiple boxes. Um, and they looked really good. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I know I said earlier in the year that... You've been harsh on them. I have. I said earlier in the year that they would be better than the Jets because I thought their offensive line would keep them or would take them out of less games than the Jets secondary would. I sort of wanted to rescind that a couple weeks ago, but now I, I'm firmly back in the camp that I was right to begin with and should have trusted my gut. And they didn't miss a beat. When Rashad Jennings went out, he's been a workhorse back, and yeah. he, he wasn't a sexy signing. He's been kind of one of those like lower level lead backs, top backups for the last five, six years in Jacksonville and then Oakland. But when Andre Williams came in, it was business as usual, and that offense looked like it's it looked like Eli's comfortable and they're getting going. Yeah, you know what's funny is I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. Um, it, it's almost like a winning uh, formula. When a running back gets hurt in like the third quarter and you have a guy with fresh legs come in, it actually ends up working yep. pretty well a lot of the time. We were talking about this yesterday, yeah, too, that as a matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah. So that worked out because Andre Williams has fresh legs. He's been a little disappointing this year to me because he does get stuffed a lot at the line of scrimmage. And he's very young. He didn't catch a football. He didn't catch one football his senior year at Boston College. Nope. Um, so he's a fresh talent. But... You know that's funny. It's it's being a Giants fan's interesting. A lot of regular seasons end up like blah. You know, eight and eight, nine and seven. Some of them you go nine and seven, you win the Super Bowl. But 
this offense somehow has a tendency to make stars out of nobodies. Um, they've done it a lot in my lifetime. Kevin Boss yeah, would Kevin be the best Boss, example of a tight end. A lot end of them end up getting money yeah. down the down the line from some other team, and then they disappear off into nowhere. Um, but Andre Williams, you know, you got to give him the credit. He he ran hard. He runs hard. He's a big guy. He's he's small, but he's he's thick, and he he runs really hard. And um, yeah, they looked good. I mean, their defense in the second half was just absolutely dominant. Uh, a very high-powered Atlanta um, yep. offense, too. So, yeah, I like what I see. And, you know, obviously we have a big matchup next week. The, the This weekend and the NFL games was funny because when I left uh, the Giants game, I turned on the sling box on my iPhone and I watched the Red Zone channel. And there were so many games going on that were in overtime. Uh, yeah, it was kind of a wild 4 o'clock hour yeah. on Sunday. One of which was your Philadelphia Eagles. Um, who I didn't see any of the game because I was at the Giants game, but it would appear that they had a big lead at one point and then they didn't. They were have up a big thirty-four lead. to seven and won thirty-four to twenty-seven or twenty-eight was the final score. And I asked you yesterday in the car. I said, "What was it? You know, what's the who was guilty of that kind of mini collapse?" And you gave me an answer, but it was a little vague. It was as if you know the team just kind of. Uh, I don't know. The offense didn't score, and and but then you gave a big picture issue with with Chip Kelly and right. and what what may be a problem with his coaching style. Right. What the problem is is Chip Kelly's offense and his scheme in general is pedal to the metal. Which, if you saw, you know, if you watched Week One last year against Washington, where they decimated them, you know, that was kind of the. That was the M.O. Is, is, is he ran the Oregon offense where they want to run 70, 80 plays a game. Here's the problem that this Rams game – now, Austin Davis had a hell of a fourth quarter and ended up at one point being NFL – like the NFL.com standard scoring perfect fantasy quarterback for the week somewhere in the 4 o'clock hour. He was there. That's how great of a comeback it was with a team that has very limited offense. The problem is this. Chip Kelly, 21 games, 22 if you count the wild card game last year – into his tenure as Eagles coach, seems to have not figured out that when you have a 27-point lead on a bad team, you need to take your foot off the accelerator. And so the Eagles offense has not exactly been lighting the world on fire the last couple weeks. Their defense and special teams kept them in that San Francisco game, and if their offense showed up at all, they would have won. And I think I mentioned that last week on the show. Same thing this week is that their defense and special teams did really well, and their offense kind of got a little bit better going because the Rams' defense isn't that great. Certainly not as good as the 49ers. But what happened is in the fourth quarter, they're running three plays in a, you know, a minute and 50 seconds, and they're going three and out, and they're punting, and the defense keeps coming back on the field and back on the field and back on the field. And the problem with that is even with the best of defenses, the freshest of defenses, these guys are going to get tired. St. Louis has a lot of very quick wide receivers, Tavon Austin being one of them. But Brian Quick is, you know, he's got lateral quickness. Jared Cook is a very good tight end in space. He's not sexy in terms of numbers or anything, but he's a very good tight end in terms of that, you know, I'm going to bounce over the middle, hit off a linebacker, give me a five-yard catch kind of tight end. Benny Cunningham, again, running back with fresh legs. Zach Stacy went out with a calf injury. Cunningham comes in with fresh legs. There you go. And then the offense would come back in and go three and out. Or, you know, Nick Foles fumbling because he didn't slide. I don't know how many 
How many other quarterbacks in the league have to watch quarterbacks in the league consistently fumble the ball when they fall forward? Because once you slide, you are down. When you slide, you are down. Now we're that's getting into angry six, Eagles fan radio. That's six words you need to know as a quarterback. When you slide, you are down. And that's how the, the Rams score three touchdowns right. in the fourth quarter. Right. And, and, and make that come back to make it so that the only game in the early games that wasn't a one-score affair was the Giants game of all games. Yeah. They and won that, by 10. And they were, you know, it was a comeback. They were down. So um, it's going to be an interesting night in Philly this weekend. I will be there. Um, rooting on the Eagles, wearing my LaShawn McCoy jersey, probably ingesting way too many crab fries for my arteries. Uh, and it will be interesting to see if the Giants can exploit, for lack of a better word, the Philly defense later in the game. And I'll leave you with this quote about the Giants offense that I've used about baseball rotations in the past. When you have an offense where nobody scares you more than anybody else, then you have to watch out for everybody, and if somebody breaks out, all the better. That's what I think Larry Donnell has done this year. You know, Victor Cruz is a great receiver, but Ruben Randall hasn't really shown much in his first, you know, few years, couple years in the NFL. They didn't really have a tight end. Jennings, like I said, has been one of those kind of top-tier reserve, low-end number one backs. But they're all starting to click, and when everybody's starting to click like that, then you got to watch out for everybody because when you have somebody as smart as Eli Manning pulling the strings – He's going to know where where the right place to go is. Yeah, I think it's going to be a shootout. Um, the Giants have been – I'm not lying. I, I would tell you this as an objective person that's watched them the last three weeks. They've played really well on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would say for the most part, if you round Philly together as a whole, you would say the same thing. You know, their defense has held them together sometimes and their offense has held them together other times. That's the recipe for a good team. So yep. I think it's going to be a good matchup. Let's talk about our pickums. I know you've computed them. And yeah, we did very well. You were 12-3 and three and I was 11-4 and because you, uh, you won the San Francisco-Kansas City game. And, I, right. and that was a really good game. I mean, that was one of those it picks was. where, you know, my pick didn't look stupid like both of our picks of Cincinnati did. <laughs> you know, but most people took Cincinnati and looked stupid. But you know what? This is a week where, and you can run them down. I mean, this is a week where you went twelve and three. You could have easily been, you know, six and seven, because there were so many games. I mean, we lost. We picked Chicago. We lost that game. Could have won that one, but Philadelphia nearly blew it. New Orleans had to make a huge comeback to win. Yep. Cleveland had to make a huge comeback to win. Detroit, you know, Detroit blew it in the fourth quarter, and Alex Henry. I hope okay. no one ever all signs right, him all right, again. All right, all right, all right. Your anger for Alex Henry he's, almost makes me feel bad for the guy. He's uh, he's entered Brian Roberts' territory. Oh, boy. P- I mean, Pittsburgh didn't really look all that great at Jacksonville. No. I, I mean, so this is a week where so much toss-up could have gone into it, but we, we went collectively 33-7 and seven or whatever it was. So 33-7, uh, and seven? yeah. Yeah, well done. 23-7. What's our uh, – let's see. Did you compute our records as of now? Uh, yeah. Mathematically, I, this is a struggle for me. As, as you went 12 and three last week, you are 19 and nine and I am 16 and 12. Well, we're about 500. We're, we're doing, we're doing well. Um, all right. I'm, I'm cool to do uh week six, week picks. six picks, week six picks, week six picks. All right, here we go. I'm going to let you get your uh, piece of paper up. I was ready. If you ask me. This is the toughest week yet. That's just my that's my assessment going there in. There were three games that I circled the answers to as we were walking up here. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. 
So you're, you were battling out in your head. And two of them were games where you're going to look at me and go, really? Probably, but yeah. Okay, I'm glad you have some of those because I have mm-hmm. some too. Okay, uh, Thursday night game, Indy at Houston. This is one of the tougher ones, I think. Um, who are you going with? I have to go with Indianapolis for two reasons. Number one, I think they're the better team, first of all. Number two, Houston coming off losing the way they did in a short week. I know they're at home, but, you know, that's kind of – I mean, Indianapolis didn't exactly uh, have to worry too much. They had a close game, but they didn't have to worry too much against Baltimore. Houston, on the other hand, should have won that game against Dallas. Yeah, Andrew Luck. Has there ever been a player this young that you felt this confident he would be a Hall of Famer? No, and I'm hoping, to be honest, that this is actually a good game because we're six weeks into the season and the Thursday night football has been a debacle. Yeah. I mean, we've the seen. Sunday night games have been awful, too. The, the Monday night games have been the only primetime games that have been good, yeah. and last night was another good one. You know, Seattle killed themselves with penalties, but. It was a close game that never really yeah. felt close, but it was at least it was close. But after the Atlanta-Tampa Bay debacle, after yeah. Green Bay crushing the Vikings, after the Seahawks crushed the Packers in week one, can we stop with yeah. Thursday Night Football already? I'm with you. Um, this is the one – this is the second hardest, I thought, Chicago at Atlanta. That was one of the three that I circled as we were coming up here, and I circled Atlanta. Okay. That's, a, we differ. They're a different team at home, and – I know you were at the Giants game, so I don't know if you watched it or DVR'd it or whatever. Kevin Burkhart and John Lynch were the broadcast team, who, by the way, are fantastic. They're really good. Kevin Burkhart is fun to listen to. Yeah. As opposed Anyone to. Anyone who quotes Dumb and Dumber on know, the air. As opposed to guys who know a lot about football, because there's a lot of those. You know, there's a lot of great NFL announcers, but Kevin Burkhart is just fun to listen to. Yep. Uh, as he even noted, they're a different team in the Georgia Dome than they are away. And I don't know what it is. Actually, I do know what it is because New Orleans is the same thing. They can't win outside of New Orleans. The Dome makes a big difference. And coming off what happened in Carolina last week, I know Chicago is going to be kind of angry, but I got to go with Atlanta just because of that home field advantage. Yeah, you know what? I think it's going to be a shootout. Um, I think somehow Chicago is going to sneak out with the victory just because I know that I'm, I'm very confident it's going to be a shootout because neither defense can stop the offense. Uh, the the one thing is that Atlanta's offense was d- just absolutely disappeared in the second half. It goes to show you that once they figure out who has the hot hand, in this case it was Julio Jones or Bust. Um, they just stick with it to, the, yeah. to a fault. The other thing that worries me is I know Chicago's secondary is beyond banged up. I mean, their secondary is patchwork. And Julio Jones, Roddy White still got some explosiveness. Devin Hester is fast. I mean, let's just <laughs> yeah. put it out there. Devin Hester is – and, I mean, you saw what Anton Smith did yeah. on, on that screen pass where he made Antro roll miss and took it to the house from 70-plus yards away. <laughs> I, You know, I mean, this game could be in the, in the 40s going into the fourth quarter. Yep. Agreed. You're swaying me a little bit. I mean, I, I was back and forth on this. Well, look at Atlanta's last two Dome games. They scored 56 on the on the Buccaneers and had 35. Minnesota's not a Dome, but they're a Dome team. Right. I You know, I should classify it as that because they're playing outdoors. But they, again, shootout. Yeah, it'll be a shootout. So that'll be interesting to see who wins what. Uh, New England at Buffalo? Uh, I have New England. I do, too. Uh, I just think we saw... Tom Brady angry and sick of hearing that he was done and he played really well. And that was, you know, your typical Sunday night game, you know, just yep. clearly a team that was motivated. And it seems like Cincinnati doesn't play well. Um, 
in those you know national nationally televised games. They haven't won a playoff game in Marvin Lewis's tenure. Right. So, yeah. So, I like New England in here. Uh, the other thing I don't like, even though it's at Buffalo, is that they didn't really well me. Again, I mean, again, I was watching Red Zone for a lot of the end of that. They didn't really well me in Detroit, and Kyle Orton doesn't wow you as a quarterback. Right. Whereas I feel like Tom Brady can make – Tom Brady can will that team to a win still. Right. Whereas Detroit let Buffalo hang in that game, and again, Alex Henry. Yep. Uh, Carolina at Cincinnati. All that said, I think Cincinnati's going to come back in. Yeah, I at think home they'll be great. And, it's a one o'clock game in Cincinnati. They'll win that. Again, Carolina's on a high after the way they won that game, sure. But yeah, Cincinnati's going to have vengeance on their mind. Pittsburgh at Cleveland. I'm taking Cleveland. Uh, I did struggle with this one just for a little bit, but I think that Brian Hoyer, I've loved what I've seen out of him. Uh, they have a pretty good defense. Uh, not great, but it's good. And in the dog pound, uh, Pittsburgh, not being able to score more than 17 points against Jacksonville kind of was an eye-opener for me. I don't think they have a ton of firepower. I'll say the same thing about Baltimore, but I like Cleveland. This was the second of three games I circled right as we went up here, and I also picked Cleveland. That comeback showed me something. I know it was against Tennessee, who gets a lot of flack for not being great at anything. Their defense let them down early, and their offense brought them back. I mean, they have a dynamic offense when Ben Tate is is on. Yep. Again, that wide receiving core, nobody scares you really more than anybody else because Andrew Hawkins is capable of doing well. Uh, They have a couple of good tight ends, not just one. I know, is it Jordan Cameron or Cameron Jordan, as people would say? Uh, Jordan Cameron is, uh, is good. But they have, you know, they're deep there. And without Josh Gordon, they're adapting. Yep. I mean, I, I like the team. I think they're going to. They, yeah. I, I read someone tweeted that they have a really good chance of being 6 and 2. Um, you know, if they yeah. win this week, it's a very easy road from them. And on. like you said, too, Pittsburgh only scoring 17 points at Jacksonville. Really concerning. I know they have a good running game, but, you know, Roethlisberger has not really shown that ability to throw the ball down the field consistently. And that was coming off a game where Tampa Bay came back and got them. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, they're um, trending in the wrong direction. Yep. Uh, Jacksonville, Tennessee, I think we're both going to take Tennessee. Not. I can't pick Jacksonville until they win a game. Neither team is good. I just, but Yeah, I just can't. And what Tennessee's offense did in the first half, depending on locker status, I mean, Jacksonville's with, defense is atrocious. You go with the home team in a game yeah. like that, I think. Yeah. Green Bay at Miami, I didn't really think much of this. I love what I saw from Green Bay last week. Green Bay is just the better team. Yeah, um, Miami's coming off a bye, but Green Bay's coming off 10 days off, so that kind of negates it. Very similar. Detroit at Minnesota. I think you go with Detroit. Yeah, th- that was the third game I had trouble with. and I, Really? I, I went with Detroit, yeah. Huh. Well, the reason is you saw what Minnesota's offense was capable of doing against Atlanta, and you saw what Detroit couldn't do against Buffalo. At home, I just so going on the road to Minnesota. Wait, I know Megatron Ponder. I know, but if Megatron is limited, I mean he's been a non-factor the last few. I weeks. will take. I'll take Reggie Bush and well, Jay Joy- Cutler. I mean, not Jay Cutler. It's Matt, Matt Stafford. Stafford. Well, Joyke Bell may be out still too with that concussion. So I, I think Detroit is a better team than Minnesota, and I think because of their offense, I mean. Yeah, a lot of what Minnesota did offensively was with Teddy Bridgewater at the helm against Atlanta, but yeah, <sighs> tough call, but Christian I went to Ponder, Yeah, just, just doesn't do it for me. His wife's, his wife's attractive, though. Denver at the New York Jets. Next. 
next. Um, I, I I spied over at your your um, sheet. We disagree on this one. Baltimore at Tampa Bay. Uh, you're taking Baltimore. I'm taking Tampa. Um, I had Baltimore circled. I crossed it off, and I took Tampa Bay um, for two reasons. You look at the last two weeks for Tampa Bay. They just almost beat New Orleans. And they didn't. I'll mm-hmm. give you that. They didn't. But um, this is a team that I looked at when they fired Greg Schiano, and I said, there's a coach that's going to go into a situation with a ton of talent mm-hmm. that's been abused by a guy who clearly didn't have the locker room. Mm-hmm. And with Bobby Rainey playing kind of the way he is, which is good. He's just a good all-around back. He can uh, catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, I like Mike Glennon. I like him much more than Josh McCown. Um, and I know that, that you know their wide receiving core isn't great. They're missing one of the two towers. But I like them at home this week. And I, I Baltimore, I feel the exact same way as, as Pittsburgh. Torrey Smith has been a no-show. Uh, Steve Smith's been good, but can Joe Flacco get him with the ball? Again, this is a home, uh, an away game in the NFL. These are hard to win. And when you don't have a ton going into this, when you don't have much of a running game at all, Justin Forsett's been good, but he hasn't lit the world on fire. I like Tampa Bay in this game. I, I think they've played pretty well these past two weeks. There are six teams, seven teams in the NFL that have zero or one wins through five weeks. Tampa Bay is easily the best of that group. Right. They should have two, really should have three, let's be fair. And what they did last week was great, and what they did against Pittsburgh was great. Here's my thought. Baltimore's defense is much better than Pittsburgh and New Orleans. That's it. Baltimore's defense is, you know, Baltimore, their offense looked awful against Indianapolis this week. And that's you have to take that into consideration. I mean, Steve Smith had that huge game against Carolina. It's the revenge game, you know. Like you said, the running game isn't setting the world on fire. I have a feeling this could be like a seventeen to seven game. Yeah. And Baltimore's defense is much better than the other two. It's it's kind of funny to me at this point. Like I I, I wonder which which Ryan brother is going to be the first one fired because as bad as Rex has it in New York right now. Can we stop thinking Rob Ryan is an actual competent defensive coordinator? Yeah, now? That, I mean that defense is terrible. New Orleans defense is awful, and his defense in Dallas was awful too. So maybe he's the problem. Granted, they don't have a ton of skill, but it's awful. Again, a good defensive coordinator can turn limited skill into decent results. A bad defensive coordinator can turn limited skill into nothing. Right. Um, so I think that's going to be a defensive game. I, I think Baltimore's defense is why I picked them, even on the road. Okay. Uh, San Diego at Oakland. San I can't. Diego, I can't. Yeah. I can't pick the Raiders until they win either. They pick. Well, I mean, they have been playing so well. San, San Diego's Diego. four and one. Yeah, really good. Uh, Washington and Arizona. Washington again. They didn't keep it close last night. Seattle made some mistakes. Um, I like Arizona in this game. So do I. I think Washington is still the second best, maybe, of that one win or less group. It's either them or St. Louis. St. Louis is playing with a third string quarterback, but uh, yeah. They have they they should have more talent than they do. They just really you're going to look at Washington at the end of the season, and you're going to see that they go five and eleven, and you're going to wonder how they went five and eleven, and then they're going to get a high draft pick, and maybe they'll draft I don't know somebody who can play any sort of defense, yeah, anything resembling defense, and maybe they'll be good. Uh, some good news for us, given that we're Giants and Philly yeah. fans, that Dallas is in Seattle, the the dead zone for any team that wants a win other than the Seahawks. Uh, nobody wins there, yeah. so that will be the same for Dallas. 
I wouldn't pick Seattle in a suicide pool. I'll just put it that way, but I, I picked them to win this game because Dallas, God, God knows we both hate them as fans. They've won games with offense. They've won games with defense. They've won games by hanging around. I mean, somehow they seem like a pretty good all-around team. And as great as Seattle's secondary is, Den- uh, Dallas's biggest weapon right now is Demarco Murray. So maybe yeah, that helps it, negate it a little bit. We have gotten so used to watching Dallas just implode, not knowing what's right for them. Like we can all see it. It's like you need to run the football, Jason mm-hmm. Garrett. That's all you need to do. <sighs> Establish the run, and then Tom uh, Tony Romo will be able to you know spread the field. Yep. And finally, this year they've got a stud running back, Demarco Murray, who looks like he may be a shoe in for the MVP if the season were to end right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but. And we could have a three-way tie at four and two atop of the division if the Giants win and Seattle beats Dallas. Yep. It looks like a good division right now. Yep. Uh, Giants at Philly. I'm picking Philly. Again, you'll notice a trend with me here. Home teams. If it's not obvious, I take the home team. Look at how many home teams won last week. Yeah. And then look at the ones that lost and see how they, you know, only one of them was really out of it. Here's what I hope for. I mean, I think it's going to be like a 30-30 game. Like, it's going to be, yeah. It, so I think it's going to be a good game because I don't think either team is overmatched against the other. And I think that it'll you know, be fun to watch. It's a Sunday night game. And I don't think it'll say – I don't think we'll leave Sunday night's game thinking, whoa, like the Eagles are in trouble or, whoa, the Giants are in trouble. There's three reasons why I picked Philly. It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm an Eagles fan. Number one is the Giants' special teams have a history of being awful. And the, like I said, the Eagles' special teams and defense are carrying them right now. So this could very well be one of those games that's decided by a special teams mistake. I mean, you and I could go back and forth, and we can all look back to Brian Westbrook and Vice Gehema and Deshaun Jackson's punt return to bring him from back down 28 a few years ago. Special teams could be the end up being the huge key in this game. Giants make one mistake, bad punt, something yep. happens, whatever. That's a good call. Number two is the Eagles' best cornerback is their slot corner. So as much as Odell Beckham looked awesome last week, Brandon Boykin is a shutdown corner in, in he ain't the nickel. slot receiver, though. Let me finish. As great as Odell Beckham looked, if you can cover safety help on him, knowing that Brandon Boykin can handle Cruz or Randall, depending on who's in the slot, that makes a big difference. Because the Eagles, let's be fair, Kerry Williams and Bradley Fletcher have not looked great this year. The third thing is is that it is that lack of a tight end on the Giants' side that, yes, Donnell looks good, but the Eagles cover those very well. They're very good in that tight end coverage area. Those, those plays that Donnell is making his money on are, are plays the Eagles defend well. The problem is the Eagles are just as good offensively on that side of the ball with the tight end if they choose to utilize it, and the Giants' linebacking court isn't quite as skilled in that. So this could be a game where Zach Ertz and Brent Selleck are the big offensive weapons. Yeah. Macklin has a lot of yards and a touchdown in every game. Jordan Matthews is coming into his own. Riley Cooper is good for one or two circus catches a game. You know, Sproles and Shady, we know what, what they have there. This could be a game where Ertz, it's Ertz and Selleck who are the biggest yeah. weapons. Traditionally, Selleck has had big games against the Giants. Yeah, believe it or not, you know, I was talking about this with Chris on this on the Christian show. I uh, McCoy is, has looked average, very pedestrian, right? And I, I think you know, obviously, being a Giants fan, he'll rush for two hundred yards in this game. But I'm actually more worried about 
like you said, the mid-range passing game with the Eagles than I am their running game. Because the Giants' front seven has been terrific. I mean, this is a really good defensive line and linebacker core, especially if John Beeson comes back. Um, So in that way, I'm not worried really about stopping the run. Obviously, with Shady, you can expect 80 yards at at the least. But I'm more worried about about the wild card. You know, Zach Ertz having a huge game, uh, you know, 100 yards, two touchdowns. I have him on my fantasy team, so I wouldn't be that sad about that. But, yeah, um, you know, the one thing I'll say is the Giants' offense for the past three weeks has kind of taken what they want. Yep. And not in the kind of way where they make some 90-yard catch. They seem to complete any pass that they want to complete. And this is the same argument I made anti-Geno Smith. You don't see him making those eight-yard button-hook throws. It seems as if he's throwing down the field and missing it because he doesn't have good accuracy. But Eli Manning can make those throws, Mm -hmm. and he can drive down the field. And, again, just the fact that the Eagles, let's be honest, they're the favorite in this division. They're at home. It's a Sunday night game. Rashad Jennings is out. And I agree. Special teams, that's a big point to be made. The Giants special teams this year has had times of being very good. Josh Brown, their kicker, has been great. He has. They have the best punter in the NFL, Steve Weatherford, maybe second to uh, what's-his-name in Kansas City. But Colquitt. Yeah. I would say that generally you don't take the Giants in Philly, even though Philly had that issue at home for the past two years, not a relevant stat. No, they've won seven in a row, I think, after that. So it's been, yeah. I just think if – I would actually feel differently if we had Rashad Jennings, but I could see Andre Williams, now that a defense has prepared for him, kind of getting stuck. I I thought about that too, and I didn't mention that earlier for the sole fact that, again, if they can stretch the field a little bit, that might help Williams a little bit if the Eagles linebackers have to back off. Um. And he might be amped up knowing this is his show. On the other hand, I could very much see him getting stuffed. And then if there's no backup, I mean, who's the third string? Peyton Hillis? Peyton Hillis is the second, yeah, third yeah. string. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like you have somebody, like you said, if something happens to him, you got fresh legs. It's Peyton Hillis who runs about as fast as I do. Yeah, Michael Cox, they just signed from the practice squad. He's a guy that actually was pretty yeah. good for them last year. He's just like a scat back, kind of a quick guy. But, yeah, I think I, I don't think it'll be a blowout. I think it'll be a close game, but I think if Philly can stretch the field early with Macklin or Matthews can can get something going, if they can stretch the field early or if Sproles can do something early, it's going to be a big day for Ertz and Selleck, yeah. just like you said in the mid-range passing game. All right, San Fran, uh, St. Louis. I think we both picked San Fran for the sole fact that St. Louis, again, they're going to fight all year long, but they just don't have the talent. Because they're well-coached. Yeah. I mean, they're the kind of team where – you know, if they win this, it's going to be because Jeff Fisher willed them there. And he continues to do it week after week. They're competitive. Yep. And you, you wonder why. But, um, yeah. So we have, what, two two opposite picks again this week? You have it. You have Chicago, I have Atlanta, and then you have Tampa Bay, and I have Baltimore. And that's it, right? I'm much more confident about Tampa Bay than I am Chicago. I, I you know, I could be persuaded to take Atlanta, too. But... All right, so then do we go double or nothing on the to make it interesting again? Do we go double or nothing on the uh, on the bet? What do you mean double or nothing? You th- like, do we just do lunch again, or is this like two lunches now? No, if 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 you if you win, I'll I'll get you for two. But if I win, it's back to just lunch, one for me. But if you win again with oh. both of your teams going two and zero this time, I get you twice next week. Sure. All right. Sold. Yeah. Sweet. Sold. Let's go Falcons. Let's go Ravens. Birds.
Yeah, you're <laughs> bird fan. You're like Edgar Allan Poe. I am a bird fan. I'm a fan of the birds. Uh, one last point about the NFL. You mentioned the divisions. We could have a three-way tie at four and two atop the league. We could have two five and one teams atop the, the division in the NFC East, which everybody kind of poo-pooed at the beginning of the year. It wasn't going to be that competitive. It wasn't going to be that great. And it looks like the, the best division in football. Did anybody have the NFC North being like the most mediocre with Green Bay and Chicago coming off a near playoff berth and Detroit perpetually on the uprise and Minnesota being Minnesota? Did anyone did anyone have that division being horrendously average? Nine and seven is going to win that division. Yeah. I mean, the problem is same it, with it the is South. Still, so early in the season, I don't think Green Bay is going to finish this season average. I think they're they're going to finish the season hot, and I think they're going to end up around ten and six. But Chicago and Detroit, I, I said this to you yesterday. Every year, find a way with so much talent to be so mediocre. I mean, how are you a Lions fan at this point? I, I mean, watching them every year squander the opportunity to be really, really good with a quarterback with so much talent, having the best wide receiver on planet Earth, having a running game that's usually got multiple heads to it, each with a different set of skills. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it's it's a it's a pile full of of teams that have the talent to be very very good, and just are never. And do you realize that we were one Chicago defensive collapse away from the entirety of the NFC South being under five hundred? Carolina is the probably the least likely three and two team in the league, and they're leading that division by one game. Yep. What's going to happen when they start playing each other? <laughs> <laughs> somebody's got to win. That's the question. Somebody's got to win. Yeah. But I, will the same team win or will they all just take a win and yeah. end up at, in a big pile of seven and nine and eight and eight? I, I said this to you yesterday and I'll say it again here. The, the East plays the West and the North plays the South this year in the NFC and the divisional, like, you know, the, everybody plays every team in the division. Whoever wins the Dallas, Philadelphia or New York versus Arizona, Seattle or San Francisco head to head game whichever two teams end up on top of the division, I think that is pretty much going to determine who's the number one seed and who's the number two. Because, again, yeah, eventually, you know, when the East plays each other, they're all going to have to do something. Somebody's going to have to either step back from the step ahead of the pack or everybody's going to fall back to it. But I think, as I said at the beginning of the year, I can very much see this as a year where the team that goes four and two, you know, wins the division and the teams that go three and three fall to the middle and then the Redskins could go oh and legit go oh and six in the division. I mean it's yeah it's that bad for them. But we'll see what happens. It's gonna be an interesting game. I'm sure I will be texting you or you'll be texting me during Sunday night's game. Mine might be a little less coherent than yours on the return side, but we'll see what happens. Uh we should get into some uh postseason baseball. Can't say I've been bored by anything more than I've been bored by the Giants Nat series. I, I appreciate good games. I appreciate well-pitched games. 18 innings is not a well-pitched game. <laughs> okay. 18, you you eight, don't believe in, in well-pitched games for multiple people? I don't, I don't believe in the number five starter coming in in the 11th inning and throwing a, a no-hitter, a, a well-pitched game. I'm yeah. sorry. No, that was a pain to watch. I was, yeah, I was kind of just watching for the sake of, let's see who finally puts an end to this. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's been that's been a boring series, and the problem is that we're two wins away from another Giants and Cardinals NLCS, which doesn't excite me 
at all. I understand no. it's two of the bigger fan bases and bigger markets, but I would so much rather get DC and LA also two of the biggest markets facing each other because it's different. I who who represented the National League in 2010 in the World Series? I can't even remember because it's literally been Giants. It, it was the Giants, right? They won the World Series in 2010. I believe they did. And then the Cardinals in 11, the Giants in 12, the Cardinals in 13. And if they play in the NLCS, it's going to be one. So we're looking at 2009 when the Yankees beat the Phillies yep. as possibly the last time it wasn't the Giants or the Cardinals in the World Series. It's frustrating because it's like how many times – this feels just like last year. You know, we thought the Dodgers were such a sexy team, good all around and – Again, they're squandering it, and Clayton Kershaw does not appear to be that ace in the postseason that he is in the regular he, season. He looks like Peyton Manning. Yeah, a little right bit. Now. Yeah. So we'll see. Look, he could come out, and, and I'm not, I don't want to make this very particular because you might listen to this tomorrow morning. And it could be 2 2. But yeah, but you know, Clayton Kershaw, in my opinion, go out and dominate tonight. And if you don't, you know, you have that asterisk for right now because you are on a team that competes every year in the playoffs. Felix Hernandez doesn't have that luxury. Nope. He doesn't have that playoff pedigree to have to worry about, which you might say, well, that's kind of blissful ignorance. But Clayton Kershaw is is great. He's great. But he faces the Padres six times a year. And once you get in October, you're facing teams that not only you've seen this year, but he saw the he saw the Cardinals last year and lost to them. And that's that start in St. Louis last year was what kind of you know ended the season for them. Here's here's the thing about that that series. That series has been again Dodgers Cardinals. It, it hasn't been as amazing as everyone thought it was. Game one between you know two of the best pitchers in baseball was a slugfest. And then game two was kind of a well, well-pitched, well well-played game and then had the, the, the craziness in the, the eighth and ninth. And then again yesterday, Colton Wong, you know, with his two-run homer in the eighth, kind of put it ahead. There's been some intrigue in that series. Baltimore and Detroit series, you know, and I'm one loss away from my entire World Series being bounced in the first round, which kind of sucks. But again, Baltimore, huge comeback in the eighth. Eight runs in the eighth inning in game one. Four in game two, huge comeback. And then just flat-out dominant in Game 3 with all the momentum on the road, beating David Price. Like, that series had intrigue there with the comebacks and everything. Kansas City, it seemed like every time I turned on those games, they, they kept scoring another run. Every time I flipped off and turned on, they kept scoring another run. And it's Kansas City. It's a grassroots team. Same with Baltimore. Like, you're rooting for them to win because they're not, forgive me for saying this, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Cardinals, the Giants. They're not these teams that are there every year. This San Fran Nats series is just like... San Fran scores three runs in one inning in, in game one and then holds on, you know. Yeah, but. And then game two, it's bottom of the ninth. Drew Storen gives up the GOAT, and then they play nine innings before Brandon I'm Bell. Not, I understand you're bored, you were bored by the 18-inning game. I don't but know, man. The Nats aren't boring to me because they have such good starting pitching, and they haven't reached that next level yet. I'm looking for them to reach the next level. I'm rooting for them in this series, even though I think Washington, D.C. sports fans are as bad as it gets. Generally, this team is full of talent, and I want to see them reach it. And that's what's driven me crazy about the postseason so far. I'm a fan of talent, and I am also a fan of underdogs, so I get mixed up there sometimes. I think that 
watching Miguel Cabrera hit is much more fun than watching Steve Pierce hit. That's why I was rooting for Detroit. Right. But you know what? You win some, you lose some. And and it's it's proven that atmosphere matters this postseason because the atmosphere in Baltimore and KC, those two have been the best. And guess what? They advanced. They swept. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that generally, I, I, I think the Nats are the most talented team in the NL. The problem is five-game series go by like that. Right. I'm also a fan of talent. The problem is this. Neither offense has shown up in that entire series. It's true. But you need hitters to show up. Right. Not even offense, not even hit, nothing has shown up. Let's let's look at this objectively, okay? Game one, San Fran had a big inning. Washington had a big inning, and by big inning, I mean they scored two runs. That was the whole game. There was it wasn't even like teams left the bases loaded, or it wasn't like watching a Yankee game where they left twenty six guys on base and lost three one. Okay, it was what you saw is what you got. Game two was the same way. I mean, extra innings was like watching. Paint dry. I mean, again, the Storin comes in in the ninth inning, gives it up. You know, worst luck ever. They should have won that game. Had they won that game, one nothing, it still wouldn't have been like a banner. You know, and I don't know why Matt Williams took out Jordan Zimmerman. I, I mean, I know why his pitch count was high. That's probably the answer. But then they played nine extra innings of. Nothing. Like, they went through the lineup like three times and change. Nothing. But that's Until Belt hits that home run this, in the 18th inning. This stuff is happening all over. And it happens a lot in playoff baseball because – and you want to know why the Royals aren't affected by it? Because one through nine, they have hitters. They have guys yep. that are trying to put the ball in the gap. Mm-hmm. Um, in Washington, you have Adam LaRoche, Bryce Harper. Who's hitting six the Ryan yesterday. Zimmerman. Yeah. And Zimmerman has been playing. Guys that are – you know, good hitters, but but put up, yep. you know, those so-so numbers every year. Bryce Harper hit a blast yesterday. That was good to see. It was like, whoa, offense. Here we like, go, yeah. Here we go, yeah. But generally, the playoffs are about that. They're about shutdown pitching wherever you can get it, whether you can get it from Y.E. Chen or Max Scherzer, anywhere in between. Which is why a lot of people pick Detroit to go far right. because they have three Cy Youngs and a guy in Porcello who should have been an all-star. Right. It didn't, didn't work out It's that way, whatever but. offense survives. But even that yesterday, I mean – Okay, I believe it was the second inning. San Fran loads the bases, and Fister strikes out Bumgarner, and that was it. That was San Francisco's chance. They didn't have another one until the ninth inning when they started getting Drew Storen again. I know. Maybe the they problem didn't is have another one. The the problem is the fact that and John Crook was all about well, Doug Fister has been there before, and this and that. And yeah, I get that. Fister was on the the Tigers team in 2011 and went to the World Series. Like I get, I get that. I understand the whole deal. Playoff experiences, that the other thing. You can tout it with James Shields and Davis in Kansas City and on down the line. The problem is it was like that was it. And, okay, after a good pitching performance, yeah, you take it where you can get it. But after seeing three of them in a row, it's like Bumgarner throws a ball down the left field line. And if he takes the out at first base, second and third, one out, maybe the Nationals still put a run across. If he gets the out at third base, it's first and second, nobody out, double plays and tag. That error changed the game. It, it was wasn't the, even it hitting. It was the game. It wasn't even hitting. An attempted sacrifice bunt by the catcher who did not have a sacrifice bunt all year was the big offensive play of that game. Right. And I think that I would exp- – this is why I, I say that um, Washington, I think, has a better chance of coming back than the Dodgers because um, 
Washington, at least, we know is the better offensive team on paper. I think this is who San Francisco is. They're just not going to score a lot of runs. They no. don't have Michael Morse. They don't have a ton of power. And their bench isn't deep at right, all at because all. of that. Hunter Pence is going to hit the occasional double. But other than that, you can't really expect much. They don't have Pagan. That's a bad offensive team. Really bad. Washington was really good during the year. Mm-hmm. Really good offensively. They're just cold right now. I think the Cardinals are just a solid team. And if Clayton Kershaw isn't on the Dodgers in the regular season, they're not nearly as good as they are. So right now, they might as well have not had Clayton Kershaw. Well, when we talked about this last week. We said the Dodgers are barely a 500 team in games Clayton Kershaw doesn't start. Right. That's, so, that's the Dodgers team playing right now. I think, and you know, when you're thinking about it, you look at, okay, game four tonight in San Francisco is Gio Gonzalez against Vogelsong. It's the fourth starter against the fourth starter. One's significantly better than the other. One is significantly better than the other, yes. But it's the fourth starter against the fourth starter. San Fran has the advantage, so they don't have to bring back both uh, Hudson and Peavy on on short rest to pitch four and five. Uh, Peavy and Hudson, I should reverse the order. Because they have the advantage, they can – theoretically, the thought process may be they can lose and then still have, you know, Peavy or whatever going – Hudson on short rest if they want go in game five. I think it speaks a lot about the Dodgers. I think it speaks a lot about how Don Mattingly views his pitching staff. I think it speaks a lot about how he values Dan Heron. <laughs> that Clayton Kershaw, who I compared to Peyton Manning for the sole fact that he's monster in the regular season, terrible in the postseason, until Manning won the Super Bowl in Indianapolis, he was the same way. He's bringing him back on short rest on the road to go against Shelby Miller, who was banished to the bullpen last year because he feels that he needs Kershaw to come through and win so that he can have Granke come through in game five. And Granke pitched very well in game two. Game two is a very well-pitched game on both sides. I think that where he's coming from is if you look at the black and white of the issue, even if you don't even worry about the past, Clayton Kershaw just has better stuff, Mm -hmm. twice better stuff than Dan Heron, if not three times. You don't worry about last year. You don't worry about him being psyched out by St. Louis. You don't worry about any of that stuff. You just throw the better pitcher out there. Yep. And, you know, knowing that you have to come back from that 2-1 deficit as well, Kershaw's got to win tonight to get to a Game 5. Granke's got to win a Game 5 to get to the LCS. Then when you get to the LCS, which starts Saturday, today is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, three days rest. Okay. Kershaw and Granke can go on short rest again in one and two, or you can throw Dan Heron out there in game one with Kershaw, Granke two, Ryu game four, and then look ahead again to Heron, Kershaw, Granke. The rotation sets up very well for them in that case. Washington, again, I mean, Tanner Roark could theoretically start game, if he didn't pitch six innings in game two, could theoretically start game five, and you wouldn't be like, why is Tanner Roark pitching game five? Look at all their numbers. I did not include a single one of them on our – I'm going to spoil a little content – on our potential like Cy Young candidates ballot. I didn't put a single Washington pitcher on there because who do you pick? One. And two, none of them really stood out in more categories than one. Strasburg had the strikeouts. Zimmerman had the record. You know, Another one had the ERA. Theoretically, up and down the board, yes, Strasburg is a better pitcher. Zimmerman is a better pitcher. But theoretically, up and down the board, they're pretty much the same. So it's a lot different for, for them having to come back from down. You know, they can go with Gio Gonzalez and be confident tonight. I'm not really sure that Don Mattingly thinks he can go with anybody but Kershaw and be confident tonight. And that will, <laughs> it's a bold move. We'll see if it pays off. Yeah, know? and Yasiel Puig is out of the lineup. 
That's a bold move. I mean, that's that's the kind of move that gets you hired or fired. I mean, obviously, he has the job he wants, so he won't get hired. But, you know, sitting Yasiel Puig for Andre Ethier, I think Andre Ethier started three games in all of September. I think that's right. So you're putting a guy out there who you have not shown any confidence in in months. And who hasn't deserved that confidence, realistically. So right now, as it stands, I'm rooting for Baltimore because of Buck Showalter. I want to see Buck win a World Series. I'd love to see the Orioles Dodgers in the World Series. You called me uh, heartless, I believe, on the Chris Sheeran show last week when I it comes did to my because picks because I, I don't put you, that emotion into it. You are very uh, – you're into your picks and you <clears throat> take them seriously and you yep. you don't have any – like if you believe the Giants were a better team than Philly, you'd take the Giants. Right, like I did last week with San Fran. So – I will tell you that my heart pick then in that case is I'd love to see Baltimore against the Dodgers in the World Series. If the Dodgers get bounced, I'd like to see Buck against the Giants because it's the story of the Giants on every even year versus this out-of-nowhere team. Either team that represents the American League in the World Series is going to be fun to watch. Whichever team represents the National League in the World Series is going to have that, yeah, we know what we're doing, swagger. Even the Nationals because they, again, they're the, they were the best team in the league. Going forward, so next week we'll be deep into the throes of the league championship series. We can look back and see if we were see if we were uh, yep. smart about it or not. Yep, uh, that is going to do it for this edition of the Yes Men. Uh, before we go, we want to say thanks for listening. We want to say listen to the Chris Sheeran show, the second half or the first half, I guess, in terms of taping of the podcast double header. Yep, that Doug uh, Doug talked about where Doug and Chris will go into a lot of the. Uh, a lot of similar topics, but Chris, uh, Chris's opinions are just as strong as mine in terms of passion. And he's a little louder. Yes. Um, so and more caffeinated. More, so uh, go into that. Um, check out The Sheeran Show. Check us out. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes if you haven't already. Uh, before we go, uh, I would like to say that uh, last week we lost one of our colleagues, Jerry McKenna, who was a uh, graphics uh, designer here at Yes!, um, very sad day for us. We want to dedicate this podcast to Jerry. Doug, I know you only have been here for a little over a year. I've been here for three, but Jerry was always, to me, the first guy to say, hey, come on in, hang out, you know, shoot the breeze during the downtime. That's the culture we have here at Yes, and Jerry personified that well. And it was a sad day to find out that he had passed away and a sad day to, to, to lay him to rest. So, uh, Jerry, we'll love you. We miss you. Um, It's tough to say goodbye to you, but uh, we'll see you on the other side. Until next week, he's Doug. I'm Lou. Thanks for listening.